Hey, many years ago, some of the more fashionable hotels on the eastern seaboard were not very hospitable to Jews. One night, a Jewish lady, her name was Rosenberg, she was stranded in Cape Cod. She needed a room for the night. Well, after stopping at several highbrow resorts and being told by the clerks no vacancy, she found one innkeeper who was at least a little more honest. He told her, he said, sorry ma'am, no room. We don't rent to Jews. Well, this angered Mrs. Rosenberg. She sort of bristled up. She said, young man, I'll have you know that I've converted to your religion. I'm now a Christian. Well, the clerk was stunned. He was surprised, and he decided to check this out a little further. He said, okay, if you're a Christian, I'm going to give you a test. How was Jesus born? Mrs. Rosenberg considered for a moment, and then she replied, he was born of a virgin. The clerk thought, well, I mean, that's okay, but she could have picked up that information by just listening to the Christmas carolers out on the sidewalk. Round yon virgin, mother and child. He, he needed to ask her another question. He says, well, where was Jesus born? This time she responded, in the little town of Bethlehem. Well, the clerk thought, well, that's right, but the lyrics, that's just the lyrics to another Christmas carol she might have heard somewhere. And so he asked her another question. He said, where in Bethlehem was he born? Mrs. Rosenberg answered, in a manger. Well, again, the clerk was suspicious. Well, she could have just heard the kids singing away in a manger. Finally, he asks her the question. He says, okay, why was Jesus born in a manger? Well, by this point, Mrs. Rosenberg, Rosenberg was pretty angry. And so she snapped back at him. She said, because the hotel clerk was a jerk like you who wouldn't give a Jewish lady a room for the night. <laughs> and it's true. You've heard the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2 verse 7 sums it up. And Mary brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In all Bethlehem, not one hotel room, not one spare bedroom, not one living room couch, not even the corner of a hotel lobby opened up for Mary. A Jewish lady couldn't get a room for the night. And so Jesus was born in a stable. Amazingly, the creator of the universe paid a visit to his planet, but was denied a room at the Motel 6 in Bethlehem. No posh hotels for Jesus, while dirty donkeys whisk away flies with their tails and hungry horses stomped their hooves wanting more food, the Savior of the world was born. After wrapping him in strips of cloth, his exhausted teenage mom placed him in a feed trough so she could finally get some rest. Despite the carols to the contrary, Jesus was laid in stickly, prickly straw and no one visited at least no one you would have wanted to mention shepherds they had an unsavory reputation they were brawlers and immoral eastern magi they were strange guys with mysterious backgrounds they weren't exactly orthodox in their doctrine neither of these two groups were the type of guests who would have honored a respectable jewish home jerusalem's elders and rabbis guests that would have mattered they never showed. Let me introduce you to Jesus, the man 
nobody wanted. You know, when we survey the Old Testament prophecies, much was predicted about Jesus. Heir of Abraham, king or Messiah, born in Bethlehem, conceived by a virgin, worked miracles, cured diseases, taught parables, rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, appeared the very day the prophet foretold, died on a tree, rose from the dead. But of all the predictions we find in the Old Testament, none is as surprising as the prophecy that surfaces in Psalm 118, verse 22. There the psalmist writes, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And here's the very next verse. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. It's as if the writer seemed astonished by the revelation. He was surprised at such a thought. The stone or the Messiah was the longed-for Savior of the Jewish people. He was the pardon for their checkered past. He was the hope, the key to their glorious future. What a shock to read in the psalm that Messiah would be rejected. Rejected? And the writer uses a strong word. It means to disapprove, to repudiate. In other words, his rejection wasn't an innocent case of mistaken identity. The Jewish establishment knew who he was and discarded him just the same. Jesus was the man nobody wanted. Neither Jew or Greek or Roman Even the masses who had witnessed his miracles, they turned on him at the end. John begins his gospel with this tragic thought. John 1 verse 11 speaks of the Lord Jesus. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. John called Jesus the light of the world. But in John 3 he writes, Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Humanity as a whole, the Jews in particular, they chose darkness rather than light. Isaiah also saw in advance this peculiar twist of fate. Chapter 53 paints a prophetic portrait of Jesus. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. The glory of heaven, the awe of the angels, was despised by men. While in heaven, Jesus was the center of attention. He was the object of praise and love and admiration and respect. Jesus was the hot core of heaven's radiant glory. The entire heavenly host had a crush on Jesus. Yet as soon as he appears on earth, he's slapped in the face with rejection. There's no one to welcome him but a couple of goats and and maybe a burrow and perhaps a few clucking chickens. He has peasants for parents. His stepdad Joe forgot to log on to Priceline. They got no lodging. The only person who wanted Jesus was the jealous King Herod, and he wanted him dead. Jesus was on the king's most wanted list, all right. Herod's henchmen stormed the town of Bethlehem to kill off a rival. And sadly, there are still people in the world who reject Jesus. It happens even at Christmas time. Several years ago, the guilty party was an unsuspecting culprit, a charity no less, 
Toys for Tots were the villains. Toys for Tots? You see, a company called One to Believe donated thousands of unwrapped toys to Toys for Tots. That's what they're supposed to do. They collect toys at Christmas time. Toys for Tots that year received 4,000 bearded and battery-operated Jesus dolls. Apparently with the Jesus doll, you press a button and the doll speaks. I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Press the button again, love your neighbor as yourself. And on it goes. But, but here's the tragedy. Toys for Tots rejected the dolls. Rejected Jesus dolls at Christmas time? They said they were too worried about offending non-Christian families. Well, apparently, not many Americans agreed with their decision. The public outcry was so great that the Marine Corps charity relented. They wrote the company back, accepting the dolls and vowing to find them all a good home. But even today, Jesus knows something about rejection. Have you ever been the last kid picked for the Sandlot game? Ever had an application to a college you wanted to attend turned down? Had a boyfriend or a girlfriend break off a relationship? Tried looking for a job lately? Feel a little worthless and unwanted? Got a kid who won't have anything to do with you? Man, that hurts. Ever been fired or cut? or dumped, or forgotten, or neglected, or ignored? Ever been told by your spouse that you're no longer loved? No matter what form it takes, rejection is no fun. Rejection is painful. Recently, an article appeared in a scholarly journal called Science. Psychologists at UCLA have discovered that the brain reacts to slights and snubs the same way it responds to physical pain. When someone suffers emotionally, they'll often use the expression, it felt like a kick in the gut. Well, that's not far from how the mind perceives what's really happened. One of the researchers was quoted as saying, in the English language, we use metaphors to describe social plane like, broken heart or hurt feelings. Now we see that there's a good reason for this terminology. James Dobson recounts a conversation he had one day with a man reaching retirement age. When this man was 17 years old, he was the star on his high school football team, but his father never had time to attend his games. One year, the boys' team played for the state championship. While warming up, he saw his father enter the stadium with two men in business suits. Before the game started, all three men left. Apparently, his father thought closing a deal was more important than seeing his son play that day. The man telling the story was now 58 years old. It had been 40 years since that fateful night, but tears were streaming down his face like the event was yesterday. You see, the enduring pain of a moment's rejection can linger for years and years. <laughs> My whole life long, I dreamed of playing college basketball. Don't you snicker. College basketball, I dreamed. That was my dream. 
I hoped for a scholarship, but no meaningful offers ever came along. I finally decided to walk on. Made it through the weeding out process. I got down to the final cut. But when I twisted my ankle, that was the death nail. The coach called me into his office and asked if I wanted to stay on as the team manager. Talk about pouring salt on a wound. I wanted to be a starter, not a water boy. I wasn't ready to hang up my, my sneakers. I can still remember that. That rejection was brutal. For weeks I felt worthless. It seemed like my whole world had ended. Hey, it's a tough pill to swallow anytime you're told you're not good enough. And when you're rejected time and time again, it turns into a kick in the gut. It becomes debilitating. People will shut down. They'll give up on life. They refuse to press on and try again. They end up living on unemployment. Or they drop out of school. Or they stop chasing their dreams. Or they abort a career prematurely. I know folks who've been wounded at love and have decided to be permanently single. It's just easier to close off, build those walls, than to risk another rejection. In 2004, Arnold Palmer played his last round in the Masters at Augusta National Golf Club. Now, Palmer, he won four different Master titles. He was hailed as one of the greatest golfers of all time. They got a statue of him at Augusta National. Thus, his exit from the tournament was a bit of a surprise. As it turns out, it was a fear of rejection that did him in. You see, at the time, there were three older champions well past their prime who were unable to compete with the younger guys. Augusta National sent them all letters asking the men to step aside. All three men complied, but not without some hurt feelings. And when Palmer quit, he had one explanation. He told a reporter, I don't want to get one of those letters. His fear of being rejected had become greater than his willingness to try. Has this happened to you? Numerous rejections have taken their toll. You were knocked down, but you got back up. Knocked down, but you got back up. Knocked down, but you got back up. Knocked down. And then you just stayed down. The day came when it wasn't worth getting back up. And that's where you've been ever since. You've stayed down. Something died in your heart. Faith died. Love died. Hope died. Here's what you need to know today. The man nobody wanted understands how you feel. Jesus has felt the sting of rejection and has overcome. Despite your loneliness, you're not alone. For Jesus has your back. The God who created you not only grasps the inner workings and the mechanics of how you think and react and feel, He's also absorbed the toll it takes when you're rejected. He's tasted all of the stuff that's out there that can happen to you. Jesus has assimilated the hurts that you felt. He's experienced wounds to his psyche. His heart has been crushed. His hopes have been battered. 
You remember on the day he visited Jerusalem, he, he hoped that the people would hail him their king. He thought of how often he had wanted to gather his people to himself, but they were not willing. And on that day, in the face of their rejection, he wept. Jesus was forsaken by his most trusted men. His friend Peter denied him. One of his own betrayed him and turned him over to his enemies. Even before the executioners took those whips and laid the crisscross strikes across his flesh, Jesus had pulled a dagger or two out of his back. And here's the point. Just knowing someone feels our hurt, knowing someone understands our pain, is the first step toward believing there might be help. Call it the power of empathy. You see, your caring can cause me to care again. Recently, NBA legend Shaquille O'Neal was in Washington, D.C. He had gone there for a radio interview. Now, now Shaq, he never goes anywhere unnoticed. The guy's seven foot one inches tall. He weighs 325 pounds. He's pretty recognizable. On the show, he boasted that he could get into the White House without an appointment. He figured that President Obama's love for basketball and his celebrity status would make him a shoe-in. He would just approach the gate, introduce himself, ask to see the president, and walk right in. Well, a few days after his interview, after his boast, he gave it a try. He took a cab to the White House, got out of the car, walked up to the gate, but in the same way that Shaq has rejected shots of many of the guys he's played against, the White House rejected Shaq. Not even Shaquille O'Neal is immune to the possibility of rejection. You would think if ever there was a person who could escape rejection, it would be Jesus. But it was as if he came into the world just asking for it. Jesus was conceived in a virgin. That, that meant that even before he was born, there was this cloud of suspicion hanging over his head. From the no vacancy sign at the end to the day in Nazareth when he almost was thrown over a cliff. Jesus never tried to avoid public scorn. He even seemed to relish the rejection. He was saying to all who would be rejected that he understood. You see, for us, living in a fallen world makes rejection inevitable. But for Jesus, rejection was a choice. He chose to be vulnerable. He is the man that nobody wanted. In order to prove to folks like us who've lived our whole lives long with feelings of rejection that he wants us. That there is room in his heart for us. Here, here's what you need to know this Christmas. The pain you felt and the abuse you suffered and the indignities that you've experienced and the ingratitude and the betrayal and the neglect there's not a single humiliation you've suffered that Jesus has not tasted plus some. And all the rejection He's endured, He's done so for you. To stir up your faith. To get you all up off the floor. To assure you that it's safe to try again. Come to the man who nobody wanted and you'll find a man that wants you. 
Jesus extends to us today his solace and his comfort and his strength. I love the old saying, Jesus will fix your broken heart if you give him all the pieces. Author Rick McKinley, he he shares the before and after story of a 31-year-old woman named Tiffany. Tiffany writes, when I was nine, I was molested by a family member. I was too scared to tell anyone, so the abuse continued until I was 12. I've never been able to scrub the sick feeling off my soul. I go through life feeling that if anyone knew who I was on the inside, they'd simply reject me. I hate men. Every relationship I've had has been shallow because of it. I can't give myself to them. I can have sex, but that's as far as it goes. I can't trust them with my body, but not with my heart. I'm kind of angry with God. Why did he let this happen? Someday I hope I can be honest with someone, and I hope they'll love me anyway. Well, You see, that's the before story. According to Rick, there's an after story. Here's another letter from Tiffany received several years later. She writes, God met me in the deepest parts of me. I realize he's loved me the whole time. The abuse taught me that I was worthless, but Christ has taught me that I am precious to him. The greatest thing is that in his love, I can forgive the person who hurt me and move on. Moving on is a daily thing. I can't say the pain is gone forever, but it's different now. I'm still single, but I don't give my body to guys anymore. The love I was looking for can only be found in Jesus. You see, in Jesus, Tiffany found the person who loved her anyway. Only a person who's been rejected himself can love us without assigning fault. Jesus knows Tiffany's hurt. He suffered as deeply as she has. He understands the cause of her dysfunctions. Jesus can empathize with the tragic trajectory of her life. And through his grace, he can change it. He can work a miracle in Tiffany. and He can work a miracle in all the Tiffany's in this room this morning. Let me share with you a strange thought. In a sense, rejection is a blessing in disguise. For if life were only about love and acceptance, if we always got what we wanted, if we floated from one mountaintop to the next, when would we ever realize how desperately we need Jesus? Only Jesus can satisfy the human heart, and rejection rejection draws us to him. God alone, he allows us to be rejected by men. So we'll seek, so we'll turn to a love that only Jesus can bring to our hearts. And and you see, the great news is is that Jesus meets us halfway. He's chosen rejection for himself. Why? So he can comfort and heal the rejected. Again, there's room in his heart for you. Here's the big idea in today's message. Jesus will restore a rejected heart if that heart stops rejecting him. For here's the irony. Many of the people who need his help are the ones who have caused him the most pain. I want to read to you our passage this morning. At first glance, it may appear to be a peculiar passage for a Christmas message. But here in Matthew chapter 23, 
verses 29 through 32, Jesus is in the middle of condemning the Jewish establishment. He's taking their hypocrisy to task, and he says something that's relevant to us here at Christmas time. In verse 29, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. And you ask, Pastor Sandy, what in the world does that have to do with Christmas? Well, let me read these verses to you again. But this time, I hope you'll give me the liberty to change it up a bit. I'm going to paraphrase the words of Jesus to what I think he might be saying to us today. When I'm done, I think you'll understand. Here's what he could be saying to us. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you set up your Christmas tree and deck the halls with decorations and say, if I'd lived at the time of your birth, I would have given you my room. I would have found you a place. But you're lying. For even as you trim the tree in honor of my birth, there are still places in your heart where I am not wanted. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were the torchbearers of Judaism. They they were the town's historical society, you might say. Their job was to remember the exploits of the Jewish heroes, to keep alive the passion and the zeal of the prophets. And so they built monuments and fountains and fancy tombs to honor their memory. But here's the irony. If they had been alive at the time, they would have been on the opposite side of the fence. They were no different than their forefathers. These Jews would have joined in the killing of the very people that they now honored. And here's what concerns me about this Christmas. All over our fair land, hands are adorning trees and stringing lights and wrapping presents and making cute little gingerbread houses. We're all celebrating Jesus. Yet if you had been around at the time, would you have followed him? Would you have given him a room? Or would you have rejected him as almost every other person did? And understand why Jesus was rejected. My, the reasons sound so familiar. The scholars in Jerusalem, they were too busy to be bothered by Jesus. They knew the whereabouts of his birthplace. They had relayed to them wise men the prophecy of Micah that he was to be born in Bethlehem. But they couldn't find the time themselves to make the short walk, the three-mile journey down to Bethlehem. They were too busy. King Herod, he was too threatened to visit Jesus. If Jesus was Messiah, that meant he was king of kings. He wasn't just a rival to Herod's throne. He was superior. Herod needed to bow and worship at his feet. Instead, Herod sent stormtroopers in a failed attempt to eliminate his threat. This was the thinking, sadly, that ultimately resulted in Jesus' execution. For as an adult, Jesus once again threatened the Jewish establishment. He spoke out against their corruption. He ran their merchandisers out of the temple. He called himself God, which obligated them to obey him. And the power-hungry rulers refused to yield rank to Jesus. 
They killed him because they were threatened. And then the masses who followed Jesus all throughout his life, but who ultimately rejected him, they did so because they were too selfish. You see, they followed Jesus as long as he was multiplying the loaves and the fishes and healing their diseases. They loved Jesus as a meal ticket. But they refused to follow him when they realized they couldn't control him. When they realized he had his own agenda. When they realized that Jesus was nobody's boy. That he didn't do miracles on command. That he wasn't some circus act that could fill their pockets and meet their needs at their whims. Jesus had no party affiliation. He wasn't the spokesman for a particular group, nor did he bow to some special interest. Jesus spoke for God alone. He did only the will of the Father in heaven. Nobody manipulated or owned Jesus. He refused to allow anyone to marginalize his message. Jesus was in nobody's pocket. But because all men are selfish, in the end, he was the man that few people wanted. If you desired to follow Jesus, you had to surrender your pride and embrace his will. And the same is true today. Sadly, once people realized Jesus wasn't for sale, the religious leaders and the political powers and the fickle crowds, they all decided to just eliminate the nuisance. Jesus was rejected because he was the Lord nobody wanted. And there are people today who likewise are too busy and too threatened and too selfish to follow Jesus. He's still the man that very few people want. I, I hate to remind you of this, but I need to. You know, Jesus has also felt rejection from you before. At times, you were reeling, you were stumbling, you were mourning the fact that you had been disappointed by someone you loved, and you turned your back on Jesus. The Lord was calling you to come to Him, but instead you sought comfort in a bottle. Are you turned into the arms of a lustful relationship? Are you tried to escape by throwing yourself into something you did well, like work, or a hobby, or a game perhaps? You sought solace everywhere other than Jesus. Hey, this time of year, we, we place the nativity out in the yard and we hang the lights and we sing the carols. But are we any different from the Jews who ignore Jesus? How many times has Jesus called you to come to him, but you ran? How often does he alert you to a danger that you willingly ignore? Has he ever called you to a better way, but you refuse to change? After all he's done for you, died in your place and issued you your pardon, how can he not ask something of you and you resist his will? Jesus was the man that nobody wanted. And still today, I wonder how many of us really want Jesus. Not the Jesus we've invented or the Jesus we've imagined. Not the docile Jesus who minds his manners and leaves us alone and lets us do as we please and bends his will to our wishes. The Jesus most people want is a Jesus who doesn't exist. Read your Bible. Read the Gospels. The real Jesus strides into every scene and becomes the dominant figure. 
At his birth, the stars maneuver to signal his arrival. During his life, he rebukes the stormy sea and it becomes calm. When he's crucified for the sins of the world, the sun goes out for three hours. Before his resurrection, the rocks split open. Every time you see him in all situations, Jesus is boss. Is he the Lord in your life? Jesus won't heal a rejected heart if that heart still rejects him. Jesus was the man nobody wanted. He suffered like us in every way but one. There was one rejection only Jesus himself endured. And it's the heaviest load of all to bear. Isaiah 53 verse 4 makes a simple yet a mind-boggling statement. The prophet writes of Jesus as smitten by God and afflicted. Smitten by God? Are you kidding? You and I are loved by God. He desires to save us and forgive us and restore us to himself. But Jesus was smitten by God? The Almighty struck his own son. How painful a blow that must have been. And Jesus replied with a cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Father and Son had lived from eternity past in perfect harmony, in undiluted love. But on the cross, the Father took his hand and struck his son. God's holy anger towards sin, your sin, my sin, and all sin, swelled up in him and in one swing he vented his anger not on those who had provoked it not on those who deserved it but on his son Jesus Jesus took our punishment in our place for this is how much he loves us this is why Jesus came into the world today I invite you to open your heart to Jesus to stop nursing your hurts and holding a grudge against God. Jesus has also been rejected. He feels your hurt and He can heal the pain of your rejection. But first you need to come to Him. You need to believe that He loves you. You need to trust in Jesus' will and for your life. This year, don't just participate in the trappings of Christmas. You can celebrate Christmas outwardly while inwardly rejecting God and His will. This Christmas, make sure Jesus is the man that you truly want. While our heads are bowed and while our eyes are closed, if there's someone here this morning who's never given their life to Jesus, but today is different. This Christmas is different. You, you know you need him. You've been knocked down too many times and now you, you don't even have the strength to get back up and you know you need Him. You know He's been rejected. You know He has suffered. He's experienced the same pain you feel and, and you believe this morning He can help you and you need Him. And you've never embraced Him. You've never opened your heart to Him. You never asked Him into your life. And I'm asking you this morning, if that's the case for you, if you've never given your heart and life to Jesus and invited Him into your life, and you'd like to do so this morning, I want you to raise your hand right now. Is there anybody here that would say, yes, I, I want to give my life to Jesus? Anybody? Anybody here? Just slip up your hand. 
great. Great. Anybody else? Just slip up your hand. Well, if you raised your hand together, you and I are going to pray right now. Right where you're seated, we're going to pray this prayer together. Dear Lord Jesus, please come into my heart now. Please wash away my sin. Make me, Lord, a new person. Change my heart. Change my desires. Make me like Jesus. I confess my sin to you today. I repent. I want to change. Please change my life today. Help me leave this place a brand new person. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for me. I believe that you rose from the dead. And I believe that now you live in my heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.